Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there. We'll be talking about the NBA and what's happening in the offseason. We'll be discussing some NCAA news. We'll touch on the MLB, and we'll have our best for last. Now, remember, you can follow the show on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Rate, like, and subscribe. But also remember to definitely follow at Sports on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for breaking news and coverage. I'm on that thing all the time, especially Twitter. I'm on it all the time, getting you guys update news when I find out, you will find out. So those are your best ways to stay connected in all the sports world, and that is NBA, NFL, soccer, MMA, big time boxing occasionally. That is your best way to stay connected. Remember, at JTime Sports, it'll come up on all three with the black Justin Time Sports logo. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. We have an absolutely loaded one for you today. We're going to talk about multiple sports, which is may not be something we do too often in the not so distant future, especially when the NFL really takes over. Basketball goes to the back of the line. It's going to be a very football heavy show. But in the meantime, we are going to be covering multiple sports. We've got NFL today. We've got NBA today. We've got some college sports some college football today. We've got Major League Baseball today. And we're going to have our best for last, of course, which I will reveal to you later. What that is discussing, just a hint, maybe you guys trying to figure it out. It is not about any of the sports I just named, which only takes about three of the possible 80 options out in terms of sports that could be talked about. But now... We're going to jump right into the NFL and talk about what's going down there. And of course, the big news is in New England in the battle of Cam versus Mac, which took a turn this weekend uh, or this week, rather, in which Cam Newton had to miss five days from the facility due to a misunderstanding of COVID protocols. As I understand it, he went off site for a medical procedure of some sort and did not do the proper clearance um he's he's unvaccinated he's one of the more famously unvaccinated people we'll talk about another one a little later um but he is unvaccinated and so he didn't test properly with certain off-site facilities and got hit with the covid violation and his office was had to miss five days um his violation happened on saturday so his uh, quarantine started Saturday, I believe, and Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he returned on Thursday. Um, and so Mac Jones got a full week of practice uh, as the one, not splitting reps, not Cam is the starter. If there's 10 throws, Cam takes seven of them or eight of them, and then Mac gets two at the end, you know. Um, he uh, diced up the New York Giants defense 35 of 40 including a couple touchdowns it was absolutely spectacular of course it was talked about all day uh, all day and then yesterday uh, Thursday Cam had a pretty decent day Mac didn't have the greatest day um, because I think that some of the Giants might have took a little pride and um, all they heard for 24 48 hours was Mac Jones killed the Giants defense um, and so they don't want a rookie to get his fame off of them especially in practice especially where they can get away with a little bit more than they could in the game and so they 
clamp down a little bit. Um, I had the numbers in my phone. One second, pull up my notes here from what the practice was like. So according to Jeff Howe, um, he's at Jeff P. Howe on Twitter. Uh, the final numbers through the 19 camp practices. So this is with all the throws that the players did through the 19 practices they had in camp. Uh, Cam Newton was 135 of 210, uh, 64.3 completion percentage, eight interceptions, um, and he had nine drops. However, so if you adjust to those nine drops, he was 68.6% completion percentage with an interception rate of 3.8%. Um, if you throw 210 passes and you get eight interceptions, that's not bad. That means on the regular season, you're probably going to end up with 13, 14 picks, um, probably on the higher end of what you would like, but Hey, um, you know, Cam's a playmaker. Those things happen. You know, Peyton Manning's career average is about a pick a game. Uh, Tom Brady's around there as well. Aaron Rodgers rate is ridiculously low, but it's Aaron Rodgers. Um, so, you know, having about a pick a game on average is not the worst thing on the planet, especially if it's a long bomb pick, it's, ba it's basically a punt. So it's not the worst thing ever. Uh, Mac Jones was 243 of 341. So he had an additional 140 pass attempts than Cam Newton had for a 69.2% completion percentage, six interceptions. Um, and adjusted, and he had 17 drops on his passes. So when you adjusted, he actually had a 74.1% accuracy rate and his intercession rate was down to 1.7%. So we know Mac Jones is going to be more careful with the ball than Cam Newton. We know that we know that Cam Newton is more physically gifted than Mac Jones. We are aware of that. Even at Cam Newton's age, he's more physically gifted, a better physical specimen than Mac Jones is. Um, we look at the games in the preseason. I always talk about what do I talk about when it comes to Mac Jones? I always say Mac does not want to deep sea fish. Um, he's if it's one on one, DB has his back turn, receiver has a step, fire it. Who wouldn't? But he's not going to throw many jump balls. He's very willing to check it down. He's very quick with the check down. And so you look at a guy who is not necessarily going to really push. Uh, into a situation where turnovers are a possibility. Now, that could be a good thing in rookie minicamp when you're not trying to be seen as a turnover-prone quarterback, especially by a coach who hates turnovers. But five, six years down the line when he is the Patriots quarterback and everyone knows we just got to walk to the line like they do Teddy Bridgewater, who we'll also discuss a little later. Um, they just walk to the line and jam everybody up because it's kind of come out quick. That could be a problem down the line. But when we discussed this quarterback battle, what did I say a week or two ago? I said the incumbent always has the advantage because you have to, the incumbent either has to be bad or the challenger has to be so great that the people that had the incumbent in has no choice. The last time we seen Cam Newton on an NFL football field, he was going eight for nine for over 100 yards on a touchdown. There's nothing Mac Jones can do to take this job. Now, could Cam Newton's COVID situation ultimately give Mac the job? It's possible. Because Mac has played well. I won't sit here and say Mac hasn't played well. Mac has played well. Um, but he has not done enough to unseat Cam Newton. If they were both veteran quarterbacks, maybe, maybe Mac goes. But even then, we're looking at Cam Newton having comparable passing numbers. And Cam's legs have barely been used. In this preseason, there's been no design quarterback runs, no real RPOs, nothing really where Cam Newton's ability to run would be a factor. 
and so that is something to keep your eye on there um i would start cam newton he like he's the better bigger stronger athlete and the passing numbers are comparable so when you add in his rushing ability i don't think there's any way mac jones is a better player for the new england patriots right now than cam newton switching south uh, going south the uh, Jameis winston has been declared the winner of the new orleans saints quarterback wait 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 hold on i'm getting a little news um marshawn Lattimore. um okay so marshawn Lattimore. it's not really huge news marshawn Lattimore. we've been talking with the saints in regards to getting a a long-term contract he will not hold out or quote-unquote hold in uh he, he won't dog it but he was looking for a long-term contract from the new orleans saints per jeremy fowler of espn um but back to, speaking of the saints it worked out well um Jameis won the quarterback competition duh i don't know how anyone expected Taysom to win it not Taysom's fault it's not Taysom's fault i won't sit here and be like oh man Taysom's fault no sean payton gave Taysom hill an opportunity and Taysom hill did whatever he could to prepare his body prepare his mind prepare his ability for the right to try and win that opportunity but Taysom hill had a problem he had a he had a central problem and his problem was not his quarterbacking ability Taysom hill is probably a top 10 backup in the league so he's one of the best 45 quarterbacks on planet earth um his uh, his problem became with that he's also probably in the nfl uh one of the five or six most versatile players in the league well justin why is why is that a problem it's a problem because his if you put him at full-time quarterback he's no longer the other things he goes from top five or top ten it's probably top five at something to being top 40 at something um if you put Taysom, if you let's say you're the saints you have sean you're sean payton you're mickey loomis you're gail benson the owner um you're the other decision makers in the organization and you decide we're gonna go with Taysom. you lose so many things it's not even funny first of all james winston becomes completely useless because at that point all Jameis can do for your football team is hold the field goals and hold a clipboard. Whole lot of holding. I mean, there's not much in he can't do anything else. He's Jameis Winston's a quarterback. Um, he's an athlete. He's definitely an athlete. He was a starter on the baseball team in college. He's he's an athlete. But in terms of oh man, we okay, Taysom's gonna play quarterback, but Jameis is gonna play receiver, or Jameis is gonna go play tight end, or Jameis is gonna play defensive end or special teams. No. Jameis in the NFL is a quarterback and a quarterback only. If he's not doing that on the field, he's holding a clipboard. Jameis Winston is useless to you. If you start Taysom, if you start Jameis Winston, rather, Taysom Hill is incredibly useful to you. Uh, why? He goes back to what he was doing with Drew Brees. Playing receiver outside, playing the slot, playing tight end, playing the fullback, playing the running back playing gunner on special teams playing kick block playing kick return i think i've seen him on the field goal unit and field goal block unit that was about eight positions i just named that you still have available with Taysom hill by starting hill at quarterback you still kind of have a question at quarterback and you lose james winston's ability to play for you and you lose eight positions now you got to find 
clearly not the best guy because Taysom Hill was doing so many. Um, you have to find a guy to come in and do that role. And then what made matters more interesting in regards to Taysom Hill was that he wasn't running. I don't know if that was from coach instruction, but he refused to scramble. Uh, and I think that could have helped him, especially in the competition. Uh, we saw that last year when he filled in that he throws he would have made or runs he would have made rather when he was coming in just to spell breeze and then going back out. He wouldn't even attempt to run against Philly. I remember the game against Philadelphia. They left him free a couple of times to escape out the front door and take off running. But he'd slide up, keep his eyes downfield, and throw in a pass. He could have ran for 8 to 12 yards, but decided to try and be a true quarterback and threw an incomplete pass. Now, I'm not going to sit here and bag Taysom Hill. I'm not going to sit here and bash him. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and bash Sean Payton. It's just we saw on the field what the result was. We saw on the field that Taysom Hill is a great athlete, not a great quarterback. Um, and so this experiment was fun. But Jameis Winston is the rifle starter of the New Orleans Saints, the rifle heir apparent to Drew Brees. And so it's going to be reflected in the starting lineup. Uh, I still have not seen an official um, decree from Sean Payton, but my several of my sources tell me that it's coming. Uh, I read a report that Saints players are beginning to treat Jameis like he's the starter. Um, and so even if Sean Payton was like, I think I still want to try to taste him. Once the locker room begins to support a guy, you can't go against that locker room because then they'll turn on you. And you have a bigger issue than just your starting quarterback. You will have mutinied a locker room. All right. Shifting a little bit to the east, but staying in the south, Urban Meyer has officially named Trevor Lawrence the week one starter. So the number one overall pick, who many, myself included, had no doubt would be running on the field with the ones at the start of the season, has officially been named the starter in Jacksonville. Um... I don't know what game they were trying to play here. Um, several people I respect in the game said that it felt like they were trying to just boost Gardner Minshew's head or boost his value. Because if you can compete with the number one overall pick for as long as he did in a city where that pick has to play and you still kept, you still was doing good enough where Urban Meyer considered playing you instead of Lawrence, um, is huge. So maybe they were trying to boost his trade value by saying, oh, look, he's right there with Trevor Lawrence. And even though the whole world expects Trevor Lawrence to play, Gardner Minshew is really making it a hard decision. He's right there and he's really battling and uh, stop it. Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick in the organization. Trevor Lawrence's career, especially early, may dictate where the Jacksonville Jaguars play their football. There is no way that Gardner Minshew is going to win this job, but it looked good for Gardner Minshew that there was a competition. It looked good for Urban Meyer that there was a competition. Hell, it looked good for Trevor Lawrence that there was a competition because it shows that he wasn't just given the job. He legitimately had to earn it. Um, and so that was a kudos from me to the Jacksonville Jaguars because as we know, Urban Meyer has done a few, uh, let's go with questionable things personnel management wise even pr wise uh, with the tim tebow signing with the openly saying we wanted Kadarius tony in the draft um bringing in the iowa state iowa strength coach 
where he had his issues with race and stuff like that. He's, he's done not a great uh, job so far in PR in terms of what's going on with the Jaguars. So kudos to him for not just handing Trevor Lawrence over the job by making him earn it and showing respect to Gardner Minshew, who had a bad record last year, but his numbers were very similar to Baker's. So kudos to Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars for that. Flying north, we're going to go to Chicago and talk about why the fans are clamoring for Justin Fields. It's obvious. He's 6'3", he's 220, he is athletic, he can get out of the way of a rush. We've seen evidence of that. Uh, We've seen his ability to avoid people at all levels. Um, We've seen his talent level really take off and really elevate uh, when it comes down to in the preseason. And he was like the third fastest ball carrier week one of the preseason, clocking 20 mile an hour. Last week was not as smooth, but the talent level clearly is higher than Andy Dalton. But if I'm Matt Nagy, if, uh, if I'm Ryan, P- if I'm Ryan Pace, I am not going to send Justin Fields to the Wolves. I mean, they opened the season against the Rams. The Bears don't have the world's best offensive line. The Los Angeles Rams has the world's best NFL defensive football player and Aaron Donald. And if the NFL Top 100 is correct, he should be the third best or second best. Hell, he have a legitimate case for first best football player on planet Earth in Aaron Donald. He is absolutely insane. Um, he can really play. We know Aaron Donald. We know Aaron Donald's work. He's going to wreck that line. I don't want him wrecking Justin Fields. I mean, no offense to Andy Dalton, but if I got to sacrifice somebody in Aaron Donald, I'm not going to sacrifice the future of my franchise. I'm going to sacrifice the bridge player. No offense. No offense at all. None to Andy Dalton. You got to hold that L, big homie. And Justin Fields is going to just watch on the sideline, learn, wait. I think if the Bears get off to a one and two start, they're going to go to Fields because the Bears believe they can make the playoffs as the second best team in the NFC North. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I, I guys have told you my playoff teams before. I think it's going to be, you know, Rams. I I think all four NFC West teams can get in. But let's say one of them doesn't from injury to San Francisco or the Cardinals don't take the next step. I anticipate them to te- take. I think it's going to be three out of the NFC West. I think it's going to be two out of the NFC North. I think it's going to be one out of the NFC South and one out of the NFC East. Now, I think that the second NFC North team behind Green Bay will be the Vikings uh, do if they're healthy. And I believe or it would be a second NFC South team, which would be the New Orleans Saints, um, who, again, are, are starting going to start Jameis Winston. Um, so that would be how I would look at them. But if I'm Chicago, they have a, a playoff level defense. So they believe if they can get a quarterback to score a decent amount of points, then they will make the playoffs so if Andy Dalton starts off one and two two and three maybe even through two and four you've got to go to Justin Fields to give that team some hope some juice um a new level of offense with his ability to run around that Andy Dalton can't do um and so all the other plays off of that mobility that Andy Dalton simply cannot perform um would be the move I think they will make later down the line I don't blame Andy Dalton I don't blame the Bears for starting Andy Dalton at all I'm not killing the kids confidence this early uh flying west when it turns to jimmy g and trey lance for the 49ers again i'm perfectly fine 
with the vet starting in the situation. Why? Because the 49ers believe last time we were healthy, we were three yards away on an errand throw from possibly winning the damn Super Bowl. So if I'm the 49ers, I love Trey Lance. I like him. I was hoping that New England would go get him. And then he got picked at three. Uh, that kind of crushed that dream. Um, or, yeah, picked that three. That kind of crushed that dream. But I am all for the kind of veteran leadership Jimmy Garoppolo provides. He's 24-8 as a starter. His problem is he's never there. Um, he gets injured a lot. And so that's the holdup in San Francisco is that his body's going to break down, which history will tell us that is the case. Um, but if I am the 49ers, I'm going to let Jimmy go at it. Again, he's 24 and 8 as a starter, so he wins football games despite his propensity to turn the ball over, despite his body. I mean, he's on the field, he wins games. Um, now, obviously, first injury, Trey Lance is on the field. Um, obviously, a two game losing streak, Trey Lance goes on the field. I don't think Andy Dalton has a pretty decent leash, quote unquote, leash in Chicago. I would say there is no leash for um jimmy g and i don't don't think he has a collar on like if if we're gonna keep the dog reference going i don't think we have a collar on um i truly believe that he is being they're right over his shoulder john lynch kyle shanahan first sign of failure go in there trey lance because that is what they are looking to move forward with with the organization. I truly believe that if they had a way to get uh, Trey Lance ready to roll for week one, they would. But again, they're going to allow Jimmy G to go out there with a veteran roster. Because what, what do you not want to do with that veteran roster? You don't want to send Trey Lance out there and he takes too long to get rolling on offense. And you're down 17-0 in the first quarter. And you're looking around going, man, if we had Jimmy, Jimmy would at least score it or held the ball or something to help us out. And you can't go back to Jimmy. So that's why I'm a big fan of if there's a veteran and there's a rookie and the veteran can play, play the veteran. Always. He knows the system. He knows the league. He knows what it's like to be in a regular season NFL game. He knows it's like to command the huddle. All of that. He knows that. I like the back. He, he, he knows. Um, plus, you can always pull the vet and go with the rookie quarterback. It breathes new life into the fan base, breathes new life into the team, breathes new life into the ownership, saying that, okay, now we got to give him time with the new guy, etc. Um, going starting with the rookie and the rookie's playing bad, you got to ride it out because you can't pull him and put him in the vet. It'll kill his confidence. Um, and so that is something that we are definitely going to have to watch out for in San Francisco. Um, again, I'm perfectly fine with Jimmy G starting in that position. Um, do you let, let Trey Lance get a little more of his jitters out pregame, early game? It's almost like uh, Giannis. Remember how they, I, used, I reported that Giannis, they would have to pull him sometimes with two minutes of the game or three minutes of the game because he was so amped up and so ready to roll, he would almost stress his body out. Uh, you could tell Trey Lance uncorked a couple of throws that were just, he was too amped. They came out 115 mile an hour fastballs and high. Um, just being too amped and too overwired. Um, and once he calmed down, he was able to flow and able to work. Now, he still throws rocket balls, um, but they're very, they're more under control than his over-amped fireballs. I mean, those things are missiles, um, and they're trying to catch. So, 
We're gonna fly one more time. We're gonna fly a little east from San Francisco. We're gonna land in Denver. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater wins the quarterback competition in Denver. I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. I did not see this coming because Drew Locke had played well. I know when they brought in Teddy Bridgewater, it was to push Drew Locke. It seemed to have worked. Now we don't get practice film. We don't, and. We don't, you know, know what the goal of certain stuff was for Denver. We don't know what the measurements they set out for Drew. But from the my perspective, Drew was rolling. Um, it looked like the acquisition of Teddy Bridgewater worked. It pushed Drew. It made Drew work harder. It made him focus. He sounded more professional in interviews. It looked like the job was done. Apparently, Teddy Bridgewater did his job a little too well. And he ultimately unseated Drew Locke as the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. And in my opinion, officially ending the Drew Lock era and the Denver Broncos will be heavily scouting Sam Howell, um, Spencer Rattler, um, other top quarterbacks that are coming out in the draft. Uh, he would have been at LSU with Miles Brennan, but um, Slovis at USC will be some of the names that I'm sure will be linked to Denver in the not so distant future because Teddy Bridgewater is a bridge quarterback. We all know that. Uh, but the, you can't go back. The Drew Lock era is over. And so now you must look to move on if you're John Elway. And uh, Patton, I believe, is the new um, general manager over there, George Patton from the Minnesota Vikings, which is, I believe, who drafted Teddy Bridgewater. So maybe that could be something in play as well. Um, but we are definitely going to have to watch out for that in the near future in Denver. Let's see how Teddy Bridgewater handles that division with some arm talents in there, man. Derek Carr, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. You've got the fourth most talented quarterback in the division if you're Denver, but you probably have the best defense. And so if Teddy Bridgewater comes in there and doesn't turn the ball over, you could be looking at a situation where the Denver Broncos maybe not make the playoffs, but maybe get nine wins, you know, maybe finish third in the division with the Chiefs winning 13, the Chargers winning 11 or 12, and then D Denver coming in 9 or 10, you know, wins. Because I would, I would pick them over Oakland. I mean, Vegas right now, if they were like Denver-Vegas, I'm picking Denver. Denver Chargers, if it's in Denver, I'm taking Denver. And I believe they're going to get swept twice by Kansas City. But, you know, they, they, they can compete definitely with the Chargers, and they're a better team than the Raiders, in my opinion. So I would definitely look out for the Denver Broncos this year, the team nobody wants to play. Uh, that defense is going to be back healthy. Von Miller's back. Bradley Tubbs, another year healthier. Uh, you, are, you already got the weapons on the outside. Teddy can get them the ball in space where they can operate. Not a deep ball thrower, but you don't have to be. Uh, they have a pretty good scheme over there in Denver. And so I would definitely keep your eye out on that, on the Denver Broncos situation. A couple of personnel news. Sony Michelle was traded to the Los Angeles Rams in a complicated deal that turned out to be illegal. Uh, and they even have to rework the language. So the Los Angeles Rams agreed to trade for New England Patriots running back Sony Michelle. Now, when the trade was done, it was basically done with a pick the Rams don't own yet. So it was done with a fourth round pick that the Rams don't own. Um, it was a, it was actually they were trading their compensatory pick for when they get it um, for John Johnson. So it was going to be a fourth, fifth round conditional pick. But the condition was once we get our uh, compensatory pick from John Johnson, losing John Johnson to Cleveland, I believe, which is expected to be a fourth round pick, we'll just bounce that pick right to you. Um, it was only five years ago where compensatory picks were even allowed to be traded. 
Um, but now they're allowed to be traded, but you have to own them first. And so since the Rams didn't own them yet, the NFL said it was illegal to trade a pick you don't technically have yet. Um, and so they reworked the language and the Patriots got a fifth this year and a fourth next year. So they end up getting the fourth round pick anyway, just not in the 2022 draft. They're getting it in the 2023 draft. Uh, but Sony Michelle is in the Rams and we spoke about the Rams needing a running back. They had Daryl Henderson, but they lost Cam Akers. And so now they replace Cam Akers with a similar style back in Sony Michelle. So he should be doing good in um, Los Angeles. Carson Wentz is on the mend. He returned back to practice. So did Quentin Nelson before going on the COVID list. But Carson Wentz returned back to practice, moving well. Looking like he was trying. Looking like he's definitely trying to go for week one of the NFL season. Um, I'm a huge Wentz guy, so that was music to my ears and uh, beautiful to my eyes to see him moving around the practice field the way he was. I'm really happy about that. But I'm happy for him and I'm happy for the Colts organization in general because the Colts have a really good roster. I had them winning a division. I still have them winning a division, uh, about 11 or 12 wins. Um, they have a really good roster, and Carson Wentz can be successful there. They have a chance to be incredibly dangerous. That is a team nobody would want to see because if Carson Wentz is right, that's an offense that can score 30 points on you, 40 points on you if they're hot. And that defense smacks you in the mouth. So that's a team I would not want to face if I am a AFC playoff team. I do not want to face the Indianapolis Colts, especially Indianapolis, where they're inside and that offense can really hum. Um, and then we're going to talk about just for a second, hard knocks. I love hard knocks. I tell you guys, I'm a football junkie. I tell you guys that all the time that I am a junkie when it comes to football. I love football. I don't even like the Cowboys. I don't. I have a bunch of uncles who family members who are Cowboys fans. I talk about them all the time religiously. Uh, I'm 24. So the Cowboys last championship ring is older than me. So I talk about them a lot. Um, in terms of how I feel in regards to the Cowboys. Well, they're on hard knocks. And yes, they've been on all or nothing. I mean, it was the Amazon Prime series, all or nothing, but I love hard knocks. I love the narrator of hard knocks. I love how it's produced. It's great. It's on HBO, HBO Max. It's spectacular. I wanted to watch it because I wanted to see how the Cowboys' inner workings worked. And they've done a pretty good job in covering their warts. You know, a lot of times the really bad organizations, their warts just come out, they can't help themselves. Um, they've Dallas done a pretty good job of covering their warts. Like, yes, Jerry had an ode to Jerry episode in episode three. It was pretty much an ode to what I've done with Dallas. Um, you know, it wasn't even about, it wasn't about the Cowboys' history. It was about Jerry's history with the Cowboys. You know, like uh, it was an ode to me. They did a fly around of AT and T Stadium, and they did the most amazing drone shot I've ever seen in my life. I don't know. I don't even care that it took 15 times. I'm mad that information leaked um, or was reported. That drone shot of the star was amazing. Which, is, if you don't know what the star is, the star is the name for the practice facility. If you watch the episode, they flew um, down like the little walkway, past all the number retired numbers, and through this statue and inside the building and around and into the coaches' meeting and in the coach room. And they turned back and they went to the big old meeting room the team meeting room and they flew out of that and then they flew in through the weight room and then they flew out of that into the practice field that holds twelve thousand fans um so you know most fans 
Like when the Saints rain, that's just it. They just they that sorry fans, you can't come. Dallas moves the fans inside into the twelve thousand feet, uh, twelve thousand seat practice facility, in which high school teams ha- sometimes play their games there uh, because they are really good uh, seats. It's a great field, and so sometimes they um, move their games in high school. Texas high school football will play their games at the star. Um, the estimated cost of the star and the retail place around it, Jerry Jones said $1.5 billion. Add on to that a price tag of the stadium being $1.85 or something like that, billion dollars. Uh, there's about $3.3, give or take, billion dollars of facilities um, between the AC&T Stadium and the facility in Frisco, a.k.a. the star. The outside practice facility is based I believe it looks just like the Madden practice facility, like the two field, the um, glass all around it. It looks it's the star. I truly believe the Madden practice facility is heavily based, if not an exact replica of the star on the outside. Um, absolutely spectacular facility. Jerry Jones is a marketing genius. He's done an amazing job with the Cowboys. Um, you know, if you guys don't know how he bought it, he bought it basically on margin and bought it on loan. Uh, he was getting credit cards declined. All kind of stuff was happening. Um, he was going broken oil field and hit it. Then Cole called the company that was selling the Cowboys or the realtor, buys it under the agreement. He has to fire Tom Landry. He does. I mean, it was wild, the story from buying the Cowboys. I mean, even a freak. It's almost like a freak fate coincidence. Like he was in Cabo or um, somewhere close, right off the coast of San Diego. I think I believe it's Cabo. And he was supposed to go out on the boat, but he got sick. But he just so happened uh, to bring, he party too hard that night, woke up sick and couldn't do the boat. Just so happened to bring the San Diego newspaper. And at the bottom of the paper states that, oh no, the Cowboys are up for sale and this is who are selling them. And like I said, Cole calls the company and said, you don't know me, but I'm Jerry Jones. I'm going to buy the Cowboys. He didn't even have the biggest bid, but the owner liked him so much and figured he would come through on firing Tom Landry, firing um, Gil Brandt, you know, that sort of thing, or removing Tex Ram. It, it was just, it was a lot that was conditioned that Jerry had to do in order to buy the team. He came through on all of them. And then he built the biggest brand of big, biggest sporting brand in the world with the highest value. Absolutely spectacular story. Definitely check that out whenever you get the chance. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there. All right, welcome back into the show. And now we're going to talk about the NBA and what's going down in the association. So the big news coming out of the NBA was that Damian Lillard uh, said on social media, one of the lives, that he is in Portland. He's committed to Portland all the way in for now, at least. Um, And so Portland rejoiced. We've got Damian Lillard. He's committed to us. Yada, yada, yada. He's not going to leave us. Screw you, media, who said he's going to leave. Portland, I hate to do this. I don't I don't enjoy this. I mean, you guys have listened to this show long enough. I don't like being this person. 
I don't like being the bearer of bad news, but unfortunately, I cannot allow my facts to get in the way of your opinion. Or correction, unfortunately, I can't allow your feelings to get in the way of my facts. Um, I can't allow your feelings to get in the way of my opinions. Damien Lillard's leaving. I mean, that's pretty much, he basically told you. Sure, 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 sure. His lips said, I'm committed to Portland. Dot, dot, dot. His lips then said, for now at least. That was a warning shot. That was the first public or the most direct warning shot he's given to the organization. Because when he spoke about it during the Olympics, he said, we have to get better. We have to do this. We have to make moves to get better. Whatever. We have to get better. Um, that was before, I believe it was before Chauncey even got hired. Um, he stated that, that he had, that they had to get better as an organization. Um, that is crucial. And then when he says, for now at least, warning shot number two. Look, I, I, I like small markets. I'm a fan of small market. I'm a New Orleans Pelicans fan. I've, I've, I'm sure I've said on the show a few times. I'm a Pelicans fan. I need small market teams to be viable. I love the Bucks winning one. It gave guys like me hope that hope that Zion saw that in a good organization around you can go win a championship even in a small market. I love the fact the Bucks won. Damian Lillard has been beating his head against the Western Conference wall for nearly a decade. He's had to beat his head through the Spurs. He had to beat his head against the Warriors. He had to beat his head against the Rockets. Oh wait, I still beat his head against the Warriors. Then LeBron shows up and that's another person that beat his head in. He has to be getting sick and tired of this. Denver's better. Um, the Lakers are better. Kawhi shows up. Now the Clippers are better. And if I'm Portland, I seriously consider beginning life after Dame now. Why? Because life after Dame is going to happen. And if he publicly declares a trade, his value is going to tank. James Harden never officially publicly declared for a trade. And he only named one team. So Brooklyn gave a lot less than they would have had they um, not been the only team named. When Anthony Davis was leaving New Orleans, New York was in the race, Boston was in the race, the Lakers were in the race, another t- another couple, t- I think the Bucks came up in terms of possibility, Miami came up in terms of possibility. That's why the trade facilitated four first round picks, three swaps, and three players, you know, to get Anthony Davis. Because that's what it took in a bidding war. Damian Lillard, I don't think is going to have a bidding war. I believe if and when he announces a trade, he's going to name one team and kill his value. So therefore, that team's going to offer you two, three first-round picks and maybe a player, and you're going to get absolutely fleeced for Damian Lillard, and he's going to go play basketball where he wants to. So if I'm Portland, I start calling teams and say, hey, Dane's available for the right price. You know, we're not going to play this whole game of, oh, he's leaving. No, he's not. Oh, no, he's leaving. No, he's not. Okay, yes, I am leaving. I'm going to one team and one team only. Get me out of here and get me there. Um, and so, like I said, that would absolutely murder his trade value. And I don't think that the Portland Trailblazers are in position to kind of take that kind of hit on his trade value. But if I'm in Portland, I call, I get the best deal and I move Damian Lillard and I, and I want to return three high level players under the age of 26 that I can retool my franchise around, rebuild everything entirely, um, and get back into a level of competitive nature while getting a hell of a lot cheaper and allowing Damian Lillard to go compete for championships. Now, some of you may disagree. Don't trade Dame. You need Dame. You need Dame to get to the first round and lose in five. I mean, all you did was get a worse draft pick than you did if you wouldn't have made the playoffs. So 
I would again I would call Philly and say Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thybul, Ben Simmons, and two first, and Damian Lillard's yours. Um, I would call other teams as well. Those probably be, that would probably be my main team would be the Philadelphia 76 I'd call New Orleans and say Brandon Ingram, Nikhil Alexander Walker, um, Kyra Lewis, three first round picks, Damian Lillard's yours with Zion. You know, I, I would do things like that. I, I would definitely call around the league and see who has the best offer. I'd call New York. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett, three first-round picks, and Alec Burks, and you got Damian Lillard. You know, that, that sort of thing. Uh, I would definitely call around the NBA and see who's out there. Boston's looking for a point guard upgrade, apparently. Call them as well. But that's what I would do in regards to Damian Lillard situation. I'm not sure what the GM's going to do. Probably sit, pat, probably sit tight. And just allow Damian Lillard to be a Portland Trailblazer as long as he wants to do so. And then move him upon Damian Lillard's request. Now, in regards to Ben Simmons, who could be a critical part of any kind of Damian Lillard move. He's been working on his game this offseason. We see this past few offseasons. But he's been working on his game this offseason, nailing threes. He's been in clutch sports runs with Trey Young and the rest of that crew. Uh, LeBron has been in the gym with them as well. Like I said, Ben's nailing threes from 30 feet, walking in the 30-footers, pulling them, nailing them. We've seen this every year. Uh, I don't, but I don't see Ben Simmons ever playing basketball in a 76er jersey again. I don't think they have a path to let him back in the locker room. Uh, I don't think they have a smart path to get him anywhere near the 76er organization again. The fans are, the fans are over him. Um, and when the fans have lost faith in you, your confidence goes down. It only gets worse for you in terms of a problem you are already having. And so if I'm the 76ers, I call the same thing I do with Dame. Call around the league. Best deal gets him uh, because we can't allow him back inside the building. I just hope that Ben Simmons gets his act together and we can see some of the talent that he displayed or that he had the potential to display when he was a young man or younger man rather. J.J. Redick is a top free agent, and he belongs with Paul Millsap. Uh, both of those vets are currently free agents, and it looks like they're not going to sign prior to the start of the season. Uh, J.J. Redick could be a net or a Nick, uh, but they kind of don't need him in the nets because they have Patty Mills kind of doing the same job they're going to have J.J. Redick do. And so I don't see Redick having a home there. And Paul Millsap has been reported that he may wait till after the start of the season to sign to see what contender has an injury. You know, every year a contender has an injury and need 12 points a game, 13 points a game. That's a role Paul Millsap can fill in. And so what if the Bucks lose Bobby Portis? What if the Lakers lose one of their backup role players? You know, Paul Millsap can step in, be an instant contributor and try to help. And so I think J.J. Redick may end up taking that path as well. You know, what if Utah loses one of their snipers? Call up J.J. Redick. Uh, what if the Lakers lose one of their snipers? Call up J.J. Redick. Um, so what if Patty Mills goes down for Brooklyn? Call J.J. Redick. So that would be something. That would be a move I would advise both of them to do. It's sit and wait. Um, the money between now and then isn't a whole lot. And plus, at this point, they're playing for one thing, which is the NBA championship. And so if I were them, I would pick and prod my way through the league to get to the matchup I want. And if that requires missing the first 15, 20 games of the year, then so be it. Um, I would wait on both those players' accounts in order to get to the team I want. Uh, Jared, uh, rather, we're going to talk about Laurie Marketing. Laurie Marketing has been signed and traded from the Chicago Bulls. He is now a Cleveland Cavalier. He's even got a new shiny deal with the Cavaliers. Uh, the Cavs are sending Larry Nance Jr., 
to the Portland Trailblazers. And the Chicago Bulls are picking up Derrick Jones Jr. along with their first round pick. Uh, they were facilitated a first round pick, which is what they were looking for in any lower marketing trade was a first round pick plus. And then with a first round pick plus Derrick Jones Jr. So the Portland uh, Chicago Bulls rather accomplished the goal they were looking for. Lauren Marketing gets a new contract and a fresh start. And Larry Nance gets an opportunity to go play with a really good player in Damian Lillard and learn from a couple of tough bigs, uh, especially Yusef Nurkic. Uh, Jared Dudley is due congratulations. He was hired as a front of the bench assistant coach for the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, what is a front of the bench coach in comparison to the back of the bench coach? A front of the bench coach is the equivalency in football of like a position coach. Uh, you know, in football, you've got your D-line coach, your linebacker coach, your DB coach. Um, you've got your quarterback coach, your receivers coach, your running backs coach. And so a front of the bench coach is basically like that. I mean, I'm sure they don't have centers coaches and forwards coaches, but you get what I'm saying. Um, a back of the bench coach is sort of like, you know, they say a defensive assistant where they don't really have a position. They're just kind of running around like a gopher. That's and they're truly learning about coaching and stuff like that. That's one of a back of the bench coach. Well, Jared, usually when when players leave, um, they go coach college or whatever. But they usually your first coaching job is in front of the bench. Uh, Jared coach Jared Dudley's first coaching job will be a front of the bench coach. Now, in essence, he's been a front of the bench coach for the Lakers the past two or three years. Sort of like Udonis Haslam has been like the heart and soul of the Heat for the past few years and hadn't played much. It's pretty much what Jared, Jared Dudley was doing for the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, and then new coach is Jason Kidd. So maybe Jay Kidd thought, hey, I've been watching him do this basically for the past two years. Uh, why not have him do it officially for me? And so he's going to go in there and. Uh, LeBron was very upset about Jared Dudley not being on the team. Uh, he openly said, "Man, it's gonna ca- it's gonna cause a ripple effect more ways than you guys know." Um, you know, yes, Jared Dudley is not gonna put up points, rebounds, or assists. He's not gonna put up counting stats, but his impact in the locker room is clearly evident. Uh, to the point where Bill Plaschke said this puts a serious dent into the Los Angeles Lakers title hopes by losing Jared Dudley. Again, you would the casual fan would go, Jared Dudley. But everybody has that guy. I mean, what is the heat culture going to be when Udonis has him finally decides to walk away from the organization? It might not be the same. It won't be the same. Now, I'm not sure if Jared Dudley has that level of impact um, on the team culture, but it's going to be a, it's going to be something that's going to be felt by the organization um, not having duds around. And so that's going to be something that's to look out for the Lakers. If, if there's cultural rifts, if there's tension among the team, um, will be something that Dudley May could have solved. But he won't. He's not going to be there to solve it. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I have some way too early predictions. I'm going to go Lakers Nets finals. I have Jalen Green of the Houston Rockets, the rookie of the year. I have Willie Green of the New Orleans Pelicans as the coach of the year and Patty Mills of the Brooklyn Nets uh, sixth man of the year. Debate that amongst yourselves. DM me about it. At me about it. Um, I truly believe strongly in all these right now, especially Willie Green of the Pelicans. If they win 50 games, 45 games even, he's going to get very strong contention because they're going to want to keep Zion, especially the New Orleans media, want to keep Zion in New Orleans. And so he's going to get very strong contention for it if they win. The Pelicans go 50 and 32 next year, and then the fourth seed or third seed, they're going to get strong contention for it. So look out for Willie Green in New Orleans. 
But up next, we're going to talk about the NCAA and what's going down with college football. Alrighty guys, welcome back into the show. And so we're going to jump right into this, into college football and what's going down. So as you know, the SEC has absorbed Oklahoma and Texas effective 2024. So it'll be the first major sport they will trot on the field with for a full SEC season will be football. Um, and then basketball will follow, etc. But football starts in you know they'll practice they'll go into spring camp in the big 12 and then exit summer camp or in the middle of their summer training camp will transition to being an sec school um and so that is effective july 1 2025 and so of course the other conference is panicked of course that brought up oh is the pac 12 gonna expand is the big 10 gonna expand is the acc gonna expand what can happen to the big 12 etc in response to that, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC uh, created a gentleman's agreement alliance. Now, again, there's nothing written on paper. They're not legally obligated to do anything. No one is. Um, and so they've created a gentleman's agreement alliance. This alliance affects scheduling, uh, creates more non-conference matchups, has better uh, competition for Olympic sports. Um, and it leaves the door open for the Big 12 to jump in, and it also creates a plan or has a plan towards uh, college football playoff expansion. And these three conferences have agreed, gentlemen style, to work together to do that in the interest, best interest of all three conferences, not just the SEC talking to the NCAA and doing what they got to do. Uh, basically, one day later. The USC, who was the main power in the Pac-12, announced a game versus LSU in 2024, which pretty much goes against the Alliance because the Alliance whole purpose was to schedule games amongst themselves. Like, uh, you know, USC would schedule Ohio State or Michigan State would schedule North Carolina, that sort of thing, and kind of cut the SEC out for doing things behind their back that they thought were dirty. Um, and so USC and LSU scheduled a game all of one day later. So that's a great start to this multi-conference alliance that didn't include the SEC, and yet the SEC has already infiltrated the alliance as well. We knew they would. Uh, the SEC still draws the biggest ratings. They still draw the most money. Uh, stadiums want to pick them to host their kickoff games. Why? Because they are going to travel by beer. It, it, I mean, the SEC's phrase is, it just means more. Uh, so that is definitely going to be a situation to look out for when it comes down to the alliance and how much they are truly going to eliminate the SEC. Um, so far, not so great with LSU and USC already booking a game, but we're definitely going to keep our eye out for that. And LSU, all of two weeks after that, would play UCLA. Uh, they are going to play UCLA in Baton Rouge. It was agreed to before this alliance, but it's not a good look in terms of the alliance. LSU has already booked two Pac-12 schools in the same year. So there's going to be something to watch out for there. Um, in terms of COVID protocols for college football, uh, remember last year, they did a lot of conference reshuffling. They did a lot of schedule shuffling. They added, if they were playing a seven-game schedule, they had a 10-week season. So the, And everybody had the same bye weeks. So in case the game got canceled for COVID, they could move it to a different bye week, etc. 
none of that's happening this year if pretty much all the major conferences have said if a team has a COVID issue and cannot play that team will forfeit it will be treated as a loss for that team treated as a win for the other team in terms of conference alignment and stuff like conference championship and stuff like that um if both teams cannot play it will be deemed a no contest and the game just won't exist basically uh you just have one less game on your schedule uh, it'll be treated as a tie almost uh, in the nfl and so with this new forfeit rule it's gonna ch- definitely encourage a lot of teams to get vaccinated um it's gonna definitely encourage a lot of coaches to strongly encourage vaccinations uh with the fda now having approved pfizer uh, they are now, I believe, legally allowed to mandate vaccines because the same thing as, you know, you have to go to school with all your hepatitis shots and things of that nature. They can turn around and say, well, now this is FDA approved vaccine. You're going to have to get it to play. So I, I haven't seen that from any of the schools. I'm sure a lot of the southern boosters will push back on that, which would probably prevent the schools from doing it. But. I wouldn't be shocked if they did it. And if I was the NCAA, I would strongly consider doing it, Um, forcing or mandating all collegiate athletes must be vaccinated, barring a medical reason, Um, barring, you know, some sort of medical condition where the vaccine will actually harm you as opposed to help you. Um, That'll be a way to ensure that millions of uh, hundreds of thousands of athletes are vaccinated. That'll ensure that games can go on as best as possible. Yes, you do have situations where unvaccinated people get COVID, but it's a lot less chance. And so in order to protect the NCAA, I would do that if I was if I was Mark Emmert, president of NCAA, I would mandate it. All employees, all players, vax up <laughs> because you're going to have to try and keep um, fans interaction and stuff like that from, uh, you know, harming games and harming the schedule and ruining possibly what if a college football championship game and uh, Ohio State has a has a COVID outbreak and can't play for the college football championship you know and so whoever plays them would get the title but that title would feel like a true COVID championship Ohio State would feel job the entire country would just be like a blunt to the season I mean so that's what I was I would strongly consider or NCAA I mean I don't see COVID going away before March NCAA final four the championship game and the team has a COVID outbreak now what you know and sort of like so I would strongly consider that if I was the NCAA mandating that people get the vaccine. Um, but of course, that's something that I don't think they've made any moves towards uh, for obvious reasons. Pushback, blowback, etc. Uh, would be insurmountable for the NCAA already hanging on by a string to their limited power that they have. Uh, but up next, we're going to talk about the MLB and what's going down there. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back into the show. And now we're going to talk about Major League Baseball. And of course, as always, when we start a new sport that's in season, we take a look at those standings. Uh, if the playoffs started today, how would the standings look? For the AL, you've got the Tampa Bay Rays, the Houston Astros, the Chicago White Sox. Then at the top of the wild card, you've got the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, and the Oakland A's. And then shifting to the NL, you have the San Francisco Giants, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Atlanta Braves. At the top of the wild card for the NL, you have the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Cincinnati Reds, and the San Diego Padres. Um, 
Just a couple of updates on teams. The New York Mets are still spiraling, although they are competitive, they're losing. Um, and so they're spiraling out now. I'm sure ownership is getting more and more frustrated. We spoke about him last week being kind of a loose cannon. I'm sure it's getting worse as the losing has persisted. Um, I know he is not happy with the way the organization is performing. And I know that he's even more upset that the big brother across town, the New York Yankees, seem to cannot lose. They've won 12 straight. They're absolutely rolling. They are gaining on the Tampa Bay Rays' heels. And they're trying to take over the AL East, uh, which I believe if they take over the AL East, they'll end up the second seed. But they are chasing the Tampa Bay Rays right now in the pennant, gaining every game. Um, every game the Rays lose is a, is a heartbreaker because Yankees seem to not be able to lose at the moment. Um, remember, I, I said it last week. I counted the Yankees out. I was a guy who said the Yankees have no chance. Who said, man, I'm a Yankees fan. Um, I don't see us catching up even for the wild card. And now they're the best wild card team. One, uh, the Red Sox have climbed back up. Now they're sitting at two in the wild card. But the Yankees now have a very real shot at the AL East crown, which is something I would not have foreseen a month ago. So absolutely huge. Uh, the San Diego Padres are still hanging on in the NL to a wild card spot. Uh, I said that that might be the greatest division ever. And right now they're trying to put three teams into the playoffs uh, for one of the few times in MLB history. And so I would definitely want the Padres to make the playoffs just to see history. They're not going to affect me as a Yankees fan. Again, I'm in the AL, so they can do what they have to do. Uh, with, with the AL East is trying to put in three teams as well with the Rays, the Yankees, and the Red Sox. And so this could be the first time in history where two divisions put in three teams into the playoffs. Uh, I spoke about how great the NL West has been all season. Now the AL East with the rise of the Yankees is coming up to fruition with just as much talent, if not better, because the Red Sox have, are higher seeded in the AL than the Padres are in the NL. So absolutely huge uh, what's going down in Major League Baseball. Um, the the Baltimore Orioles are on a massive skid. They've lost 19 straight recently. Uh, absolutely deplorable what's going down with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, they're flat out tanking at this point, trying to get a better draft pick and playing for next season. Um, cutting costs is probably on the top of their list for the offseason because they're going to have a battle. Think about the other three teams in the AL East are in the playoffs pretty firmly. And then the Orioles are one of the worst teams in baseball right down there with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, and so they're just horrible. But I had to bring it up how bad their losing streak has been. And Jacob DeGrom has a possibility of pitching again this season. Remember the historic run he was on uh, right before All-Star break then had an injury? And he's been shut down ever since. I mean, his ERA, his whip, all of that was insane what was happening. I'm talking Bob Gibson dead ball era stuff. It was ridiculous what DeGrom was able to do with the Mets, um, even for a losing team like the Mets. Um, it was crazy what DeGrom was doing. I'm not, I'm complete, honestly, I'm a little shocked that no one went after him at the deadline. Uh, this offseason, I wouldn't be shocked if the Yankees or the Astros or the Red Sox or, you know, someone like that it doesn't call the Mets and offer five prospects for DeGrom, six prospects for DeGrom um, to try and get him away from the Mets because he's an out. He when he's on, he's a top three pitcher in Major League Baseball. And even when he's on, he was losing games two to one. 
or one zero or something like that, you know, for the Mets or getting no decisions because he'd leave allowing zero runs and he'd give up three in the eighth or something like that. So I believe that DeGrom needs to no longer tease to be an ex-Met, but um, that is not a guarantee at all when dealing with the New York Mets because uh, sometimes ownership can be a little unpredictable. And so when it comes to a situation like that and how talented DeGrom is, but now he's dealing with an injury, so who knows how that's going to affect him long term. But hopefully Jacob DeGrom can escape from the New York Mets and get to a better organization. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a discussion on the transfer window that is happening right now in the world of soccer. Alrighty guys and welcome back in and uh, now we're going to talk about our best for last which is going to be like I said talk about the training window or the um, transfer window rather that's going down in soccer right now so obviously the big transfer so far or we thought going into today was Messi going from his club in Spain to PSG Paris Saint-Germain uh, he is now in PSG with currently Mbappe and Neymar well, Cristiano Ronaldo now has officially gone home, quote unquote. He has gone back to Manchester United, which is where he got his start uh, before going to his Spanish club and then in turn going to Juventus. Now he goes back to Man U. Um, so that is huge. All of the soccer fans are saying he's finally home. He's finally home um, from where, you know, he never got back to Man U. Well, now he's back. Manchester United. Now there's rumors swirling that Mbappe, who's on PSG currently with Neymar, with Neymar and Messi, could end up going to Real Madrid. Um, so that would be huge, which is where Ronaldo used to be. So Ronaldo was at Real Madrid. Uh, Messi used to be at Barcelona. Uh, now Mbappe could end up at Real Madrid. Um, so it's insane. This is going to be probably one of the bigger transfer windows ever. And I'm sure COVID has something to do with that. Why did Messi end up at PSG and not still playing for Barca? Well, that's simply because Barca was out of money because they lost so much money due to the revenue losses from COVID related stuff that they couldn't afford based on the financial rules now uh, they, of the league that they're in. They couldn't afford to pay Messi. Their salaries were going to be over their revenues, which is now illegal. And the new Barca manager blamed the last one, saying that he mismanaged our funds and that's the reason why we can't afford them and things of that nature. But, um, you know, he moved on to PSG. Ronaldo now, uh, the Juventus manager said Ronaldo's not coming back. He's never going to play for us again. And now Ronaldo has moved on to Man U. Um, so huge transfer window going down in the world of soccer. Probably one of, if not the biggest ever. So absolutely spectacular news in the world of FIFA and soccer. It's it's video game like it's insane. Um, but that is all we have for today. Uh, don't forget to follow the Twitter, Instagram and Facebook pages at J Sports. It will show the black Justin Time Sports logo in the avatar. Um, definitely follow that for all your sports news. Keeping up with that, etc. Uh, don't forget to like rate, and like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.